Well, good morning. I had a very interesting week this week. There's a lot of silence in my week this week. I started out at a silent prayer retreat on on Monday and Tuesday and into Wednesday. Those of you that know me very well, just imagine 48 hours of silence. And then uh, I did a little running on Saturday, which is also silence. It's just that there's also wailing and gnashing of teeth. But it is great to be here with you today. We're continuing our series called Crucial Conversations, and today uh, I want to share a message with you that I'm entitling The Valley of Decision. I just, I really love that phrase, The Valley of Decision, and there are, undoubtedly, there are some of you here today that you are in The Valley of Decisions. Forgive me, uh, this is weird uh, to be sitting down while I'm preaching, uh, but my left foot's not going to allow me to stand, so uh, I'm going to just be seated if that's all right with you. Uh, but I just want, I just want to, to open the door and say that it's okay if you're in a valley of decision. Whether you're out in the hub or you're in the cafe or you're in the wiggle room or right here in the sanctuary, uh, I had a couple wonderful people come up this morning and say, hey, we, we watch online, we don't live in the area. Uh, maybe somebody's going to be watching six months from now and they're in a valley of decision, and God is going to use this moment in their lives. Uh, But when we talk as Christians to people, sometimes it's hard for them to understand us, especially if we've been in the church for a lot of years. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you are looking at me like you don't. You know, when when somebody, you know, uh, when when they're saved, what do we say? Well, they've been they've been washed in the blood. Just ask a a non-church person, what do you think when I say I've been washed in the blood? They're going to back away from you very quickly. You know, in the church, we don't have discussions, we share. You you see what I'm saying? We share. Uh, We we don't commit to something when somebody says, hey, do you want to do this, or I'll see you tomorrow. We don't don't commit to those things. We say, well, if it's the Lord's will, I'll be there. (laughs) Do you you see what I'm saying? That's that's how we speak as Christians. We We don't ever gossip in the church. We share prayer requests. We do not insult others. We we speak the truth in love. That's point two of my message today. I really feel convicted using that point in my message. We, when our friends go through something difficult, we say to them, don't forget all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Are you, you, you know, has anybody ever said that to you? Have you ever said that to yourself? That's really the, that's a good one. We do not, we don't get depressed in the church. We have a spirit of heaviness. Okay? All right? Some of you are like, dude, he is reading my childhood to me. When opportunities fall through, we, you know, what do we say in the church? Well, when the Lord closes the door, he opens a window. Okay? That is not in the Bible. I'm just saying. We don't, we don't make decisions in the church. We're led by the Spirit. We, we don't make decisions. We're led by the Spirit. And if something is bad, okay, really bad, 
it's straight from the pit of hell. Okay, I I use that one. <laughs> I love to use that one. That is straight from the pit of hell, and I'm the one that determines whether that is really the case or not. But how difficult would it be to have a conversation if you were not familiar with these cliches? And some of them are good. They're good statements. There's nothing wrong with them, okay? But how difficult would it be to have a meaningful conversation? As we look at the Scripture, we see that Jesus is an amazing conversationalist. Jesus knows how to talk to people. And he does so all the time. He, he talks with, with political rulers. He talks with, with people that have been judged to be adulterers. He talks with people that are in the military. Uh, and they are people in very high positions. He talks to invalids. He talks to outdoorsmen. He talks to all sorts of people. And he's effective in this conversation with them. And what I want to do today is I want to look at one of the conversations that Jesus had that was very critical in that person's life. But it's also critical for each and every one of us here today. And it's found in John chapter 3. And it's about a man whose name is Nicodemus. It's with a man whose name is Nicodemus, who was one of the religious leaders uh, in Jesus' day. We're going to pick it up from verse 1. I normally don't read this long of a passage of Scripture. But I, I want to read it to, so it really gives us the, the full conversation so that we can see that and understand it. So beginning at verse number 1, follow along, or if you have your Bible, or if you're reading on the... Uh, uh, the Bible app, you can follow along. I'm reading in the New International Version. Here's what it says. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jew Jewish ruling council. We're going to get back to that a little later. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify of, to what we have seen. But still, you people do not ex accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if we speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man." Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, 
that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does uh, evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed." But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have uh, done has been done in the sight of God. This morning I want to share with you uh, three things that we need to be aware of when we encounter people that are in the valley of decision as it relates to a personal relationship with God. The first thing that I want to share with you is that you need to expect the unexpected. Expect the unexpected. I want you to take a look at, at this portion of Scripture, and I want you to, to, to realize that this man named Nicodemus, he approached Jesus at night. Now, what's significance, uh, significant about the fact that he approached Jesus at night? Well, when you and I, in our home, when we uh, want to do something uh, at night, we do what? We turn on the lights. Well, 2,000 years ago, there was no electricity. Uh, 2,000 years ago, you'd have a candle. You might have a fire. But it says that Nicodemus approached Jesus at night, and more than likely, the reason that he did so is because he didn't want other people to see the fact that he was approaching Jesus. What's the big deal? Why is that important? Nicodemus was not ready to, uh, to jeopardize his reputation with the Jewish community, with the Jewish people. You see, the Bible tells us there in John chapter 3 that Nicodemus held a particular position. He was a Pharisee. He was, in other words, he was a lawyer, and they studied the law of Moses. He was a lawyer. It was a prestigious position. But not only that, he was a member of the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was a group of 71 uh, different wise men, different religious leaders, religious rulers that were from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They might be scribes, but these were people that, that were very, they held prestigious positions. Now, just to give you some context, okay, the city of Jerusalem at that time may have had a population as high as 600,000. I, I, it's really hard to confirm what the population of the entire nation of Israel would have been at that time, but that at least gives us some sort of context about the city of Jerusalem. And when you're in a very high, a very elite position in the government, you don't do things that you're not really sure you want to have seen by other people. We certainly see this today 
everybody has a phone and every phone has a camera and every phone can take video and you better be careful that you know that you're doing the right thing because somebody's going to take a picture or somebody's going to take a video and it's going to be all over social media. Well, Nicodemus was being careful because he wasn't sure he was ready to risk his position among the people. I want you to really be ready because at a moment when you may least expect it, someone may approach you and they may not really be sure that they want to be public with this yet, but they may approach you uh, in, a, in a private moment when you least expect it and they might say to you, hey, why is your life different than everyone else's? What is it about you what is it about your life? What is it about? Th- I see that you're different than everybody else. I see that when everybody else is doing this, you're doing that. I see that there's something different. Tell me about that difference. They may not even come and, 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 and say the name of God. They may not use the name of Jesus, but they come to you and they, they realize that there is something that is different about you. They, they're not sure they really want to go public with this kind of inquiry, but they want to ask somebody that knows something and they're going to ask you. And there's a reason why they're going to ask you. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, Peter writes this, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Peter said we need to be ready because people are going to approach us and they're going to say, why, why do you appear to have so much hope? compared to everyone else. When the world is falling apart, how can you have peace? How can you have joy? How can you love other people? What is the key to your life? And what that is, it is an open door for you to have that crucial conversation that may lead them to faith in Jesus Christ. So why did Nicodemus seek out Jesus in particular? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, they hated Jesus. They were plotting, excuse me, to kill him. They hated him. Why would this member of that ruling religious party, why would he seek out Jesus? And I think it's interesting that when he does so, he calls him rabbi. He approaches him and calls him rabbi, and rabbi is a, is a word for respect. It means teacher. It's something that he would own. It even means master. So, so Nicodemus is placing himself under Jesus. He's calling him master. He's calling him teacher. There's a lot of respect. And throughout Jesus' ministry, many people called him rabbi, but we, we understand, and Jesus would go into the temple courts. He would teach, and that was something that, that only the rabbis did. But we find out that actually Jesus did not have the, he did not have the education to have that position of rabbi. 
but yet people called him rabbi, and there's a reason why they called him rabbi. In John chapter 7 and verse 15, it says the Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? You see, the the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, they would interpret the law of Moses. And so they would argue their interpretation as compared to someone else. Jesus did not do that. Jesus spoke differently. There was a major difference between the way he spoke and the way that others spoke. In Mark 1.21, it says the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. This is why Nicodemus approached Jesus. And this will be the reason why someone approaches you, because they will sense in you an authority that others do not possess. And that authority comes because of your relationship with God. Nicodemus said, no one can perform these signs and miracles uh, that, that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus was recognizing the power and the authority that Jesus had. And when people see the power of God on display in your life, they're going to want to know about it. Just like Nicodemus knew that there was something supernatural about Jesus. These people are going to want to know what is it that makes the difference in your life. When, when stress comes down, why are you responding different than other people? Why do you do things different than other people? Why do you make the decisions that you make that are different than other people? And when they do that, it's because they recognize there's a difference in you. They may not know that it's God. But they are spiritually seeking, and they're asking you because they want to talk to someone who demonstrates an authority and a power in their life, and that can come from you. Number two, we need to speak the truth in love. There's my statement right there. I'm convicted. When having spiritual conversations with people, You know, it can be really easy for us to want to try not to offend them. We want to give them just enough of the truth so that they have some truth, but sometimes we we don't want to give them all the truth. Well, I I, I really don't want to freak them out. You know, if I really tell them, you know, what what the Bible says about eternity, they're just, they're going to get freaked out. Jesus, when Nicodemus comes to him, and Nicodemus opens the door, right? Nicodemus opened the door wide open when he came to Jesus. Jesus did not hold back and only give him part of the story. Nicodemus got the whole story from Jesus. Jesus says to him, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless he is born again. Jesus said, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. Now, Nicodemus had questions, yes, and Jesus was going to answer those questions. But Jesus goes on to tell him that, that Jesus him, that is going to die on the cross. Imagine that one. Okay, Nicodemus, I'm going to die on the cross. 
Can you imagine how Nicodemus might have responded inside his mind if we could read his mind? Imagine what that would have been like. Yeah, this guy's a big talker. Yeah, well, let, let me check back with you in six months or a year, and, and we'll see if you're still alive. We'll see if, you, if you've died and, and how you did die. Jesus even goes as far as to say to him, and th- this is in our terms now, not theirs, but Nicodemus, you're, you're a big shot, okay? You're a big shot in your world. But you, you're struggling to understand things that should be very easily they're, they're understood. They're very natural things. These are easy, simple things that you should get, that you should understand. He said to him, if, if you don't believe that, that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, you won't go to heaven. And you say, man, how could, how could Jesus even fully describe that to him because it hadn't happened yet? We're going to get to that in just a moment. Jesus said to him, God loves the world. He sent me so that whoever believes in me will have eternal life. He said to him, God wants to save the world through Jesus and not condemn the world. And if you don't believe, you're, you're already condemned. God does not want to condemn you, but you condemn yourself by not believing in what Jesus has done for you. He said, people love darkness because their deeds are evil. He said, I am the light that's come into the world. If you hate that light, it's because you love evil. Jesus uses natural examples that everyone should understand. He uses the the illustration of natural birth, just, just having children. He uses things that are very simple. He uses things like wind and light, all things that Nicodemus ultimately should understand. And Jesus then even uses a historical account of Israel in the desert. Now, I want you to understand that God does not want you and I to, or expect us, or desire us to complicate the message of the gospel. Even for this real smart guy, Jesus puts the gospel in the simplest terms possible. He says, the world is dying. God loves the world, and he sent me to bring it life. The simplest terms possible. And he said, if you believe that, you're going to be saved. The end. In John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is a truth that many in our world do not want to hear because it means that there is only one way to get to God, and it's the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus' conversation obviously made a significant spiritual impact on Nicodemus' life. We read about Nicodemus two more times in Scripture. One is in a meeting of the Sanhedrin when they are, uh, they are after Jesus, they want to kill Jesus, uh, they're, they're going to arrest Jesus, and Nicodemus says, hey, the law says that this guy's got to have a fair trial. So he's standing up for Jesus. He's not coming right out and saying, I'm a believer, but he's standing up for Jesus. Then, as we read, after Jesus has now died on the cross, Joseph of Arimathea, he comes and he he asks Pilate for the body of Jesus to take him off the cross. And who is accompanying Joseph of Arimathea? It's Nicodemus. 
Nicodemus is accompanying him. Why? Because Nicodemus has begun to believe because Jesus who talked to him about dying on the cross has now died on the cross. And he is beginning to believe. As we live out our faith in Jesus Christ, we're going to have opportunities to speak the truth that is the message of the gospel. Do so simply. Do so simply and clearly so that people can understand the way that Jesus did to Nicodemus. And number three, and Jesus did a great job of this, is to meet them where they're at. When people are in the valley of decision, they don't need you to be way up here on the mountaintop. You know what I'm saying? They don't need you to be way up here and ethereal. and they, they need you to meet them right where they're at. And they are, if they're in it and they're battling and they're fighting, they need you to join them right down where they are. And everybody that we encounter, they're not at the same place, spiritually speaking. I want you to think of it like a scale, okay? There's something I shared a, a number of years ago called the Ingle Scale. And, and, and this guy had a, an illustration um, of people up to the point of conversion. So all through their pre-conversion, he said there are stages. And by our encounters with them, we are actually moving them higher on this scale, closer to accepting Jesus as their personal Savior. We may not have the opportunity to pray with them at that moment to accept Jesus, but we can begin to see movement in their lives getting closer to accepting Christ. In his book, The Unchurched uh, Next Door, Tom Rainer shares a version of this faith scale, and here's what he says. He, he, he has some ratings, and I'm going to give these to you. He said that, that the U5, that's the unchurched number five, the, that person is highly resistant and antagonistic toward the gospel. And Rainer goes as far as to tell us how many people uh, we are going to... Uh, you know, of all the unchurched that we encounter like that, that's 5%. So 5% of unchurched people, that they're going to be the ones that they're completely, they're resistant to the gospel, they want nothing to do with God, and they are antagonistic toward the message of the gospel. The U4 individual, he said, they're resistant to the gospel, but they're not antagonistic. He said that represents 21% of those who are unchurched. Then there's the U3. That person is neutral, perhaps open to discussion. He said 36% of unchurched people fall into that category. Then there's the U2, the receptive individual. They're receptive to the gospel. They're receptive to the idea of church. He said that's 27% of individuals that are unchurched. And then there's the U1 who's highly receptive to the message of the gospel. He said that's 11% of unchurched. And I want you to know that that number 11% represents 17 million people in America. There are 17 million unchurched people that are just waiting for you. They are waiting for me to have that crucial conversation with them about faith in Jesus. And they are totally ready for it. They're waiting for it. I want you to remember that Jesus was the one, or Nicodemus rather, was the one that approached Jesus, but, but Nicodemus was trapped in, in practicality. 
He could not get past the idea of being born again. How, when I, once I'm a man, how do I enter into my mother's womb again? That's the dumbest question I've ever heard. Jesus said, you don't, you don't have to enter into your mother's womb again. You need to be born again of the Spirit because water, okay, anybody, anybody that's been in the, the delivery room knows that there's a lot of water, okay? Water gives, gives birth to water. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Nicodemus, he is not saying that he, he knows, okay? He's not saying that he knows he believes this stuff, but he is definitely saying, even if I did believe it, how in the world is this even possible? I don't know how, how this could even happen, even if I wanted to believe it. And Jesus does something that is, that is really amazing. Jesus takes this conversation to a place where he knows that, that uh, Nicodemus can completely understand it. And he, he tells him, listen, Nicodemus, you, you don't understand these things that I'm talking about. You're going to need to take a step of faith here. And Jesus does something. He reaches back into the Old Testament and he says something that Nicodemus totally understands. Because in, in Numbers 21, it tells us the story of the people of Israel. They had complained against God, and God sent venomous snakes, and the people were being bitten, and they were dying. And God told Moses, I want you to take a serpent and I want you to put it on a pole and when the people look at it and they believe, they're going to be healed. And Jesus draws a correlation between what happened in the desert with Moses and himself. And he was telling Nicodemus how he would die. He was telling Nicodemus, if you look on me and you believe, you will live. Now, we probably don't have a lot of Nicodemuses in our life. But we need to meet those people where they live. Jesus used the law of Moses. He used that illustration. Why? Because that's who Nicodemus was. He was a teacher of the law. We need to use things that we know the people that we're speaking to identify with. We need to get to where they are. We need to not be afraid to, to get right down in their life at the point where they are. Joel chapter 13 or 3 verse 14 says, Multitudes are and multitudes are in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. We need to meet people where they are at. And Jesus did something such a great job of this. Whether it was Zacchaeus, whether it was the woman at the well, whether it was the woman caught in adultery, no matter who it was, Jesus was able to meet them where they were at. He didn't come in above them. He didn't come in below them. He came in right where they were. And he spoke the truth to them in love. We can't expect people that, that don't know anything about Jesus to talk like we do. You know what I'm saying? We've, we've got to be able to lay those, those terms that maybe we grew up with. We've got to lay them aside. The lingo that we've learned over the years, washed in the blood. 
Even the word fellowship. You know, we use that as Christians. We use that all the time. They're thinking, what in the world does fellowship mean? Well, we know that that means you're eating. <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest. But Jesus shares the simple truth. And I think that it's amazing that in the midst of this conversation with this, this guy that, that was a very high-level person in, in their culture, that he, he says what you and I have learned if we grew up in Sunday school, one of the verses that we learned, probably the most memorized verse in the Bible outside Jesus wept, is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The simple truth of the gospel. A crucial conversation that Jesus had with someone who's in the valley of decision. Would you bow your heads with me? As we get ready to close our service, I just want to take a moment and, and open the door for a crucial conversation between you and the Holy Spirit right now. Because maybe you've not really understood that God loved you that much. At our silent prayer retreat, there was a couple of people this week that their testimony at the end of the retreat was simply, I never knew how much God loved me. And this two days of silence was all about me coming to understand just how much God really loved me. God loves you so much that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for you. And if you've never grasped that, if you've never, if you've never believed that, if you've never put your trust in that, today is the day that that can take place. I love the fact that Jesus, after he, he says in John 3.16, the things that he says, then he says, God didn't send me into the world to condemn the world. So today I want you to know that, that God is not condemning you. God, through the Holy Spirit, is reaching out to you to draw you to himself. That is exactly what God wants to do. He wants to draw you. And it doesn't matter where you are because he is willing to reach out to you where you are right now. You might have a doctorate degree. You might be a 10th grader. It doesn't matter. God can meet you where you are. So, Father, I pray for anyone that is here right now that has never accepted Jesus as their personal Savior. They've never looked at what Jesus did for them in dying on the cross and believed that it was for them and believed that it was what could take them to heaven. Father, I pray right now they would begin to put your trust, their trust in you. I pray that the door that Nicodemus opened would be similar to the door they are opening in their own hearts right now, a door that is opening to believe that what Jesus did was for them. If you're here, if you're here this morning, if you're out in the hub or if you're in the wiggle room or if you're sitting in the cafe or if you're here in the sanctuary, 
and you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart saying, you know, he's talking about you, right? If you're watching online, it doesn't matter how, how far into the future it is. Right now, the Holy Spirit can be speaking to you, saying, this is you. I'm talking about you. I want to have a conversation with you. You're in the valley of decision, and you need to make that decision. And I'm afraid that we can't say, well, I'll put it off, because when we don't make the decision, we're really making a decision. And if you're tired of not making that decision, and you want today to be the day that you decide that I believe that what Jesus did on the cross, he did for me so that I can have eternal life. If that's you, I want to pray for you. Would you just slip your hand up if that's you? Nobody's looking around. Just a private moment between you and the Lord? Yes. Anybody else? Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for the love that you have for us. I thank you for what Jesus did for us.